This is Jim Duncan with Sweat the Details. We are taking a break this week, and we are revisiting one of our favorite discussions. It's World Series time, and in January 2021, we talked with Jesse Coles, the owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team. They sold two tickets in their first three months after buying the team in 2016, and now in 2024, they will be playing in Major League Baseball stadiums and will be adding a third team to the rotation of teams they play. Attending one of their games is more than just baseball, it's an experience. The team embraces a circus-like atmosphere, games between innings, and a whole lot of dancing, and they're creating the consummate entertainment experience. It's all about making baseball enjoyable for everyone, from diehard fans to folks who've never been to a game before. This is a timeless conversation about customers, marketing, competition, guest experiences, and liquid expectations. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Hey everybody, it's Keith Davis here at Nest Realty. I am with my partner, Jonathan Kaufman, and our guest today is Jesse Cole. Jesse is the owner of the Savannah Bananas, uh, which is a minor league baseball team located in Savannah, Georgia. Jesse, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Excited to be with you guys again. So um, obviously we are a real estate company who is sitting here talking with a baseball owner, um, which anyone who knows Jonathan understands the fit with baseball and, and life. But Jesse, you, we had the, the pleasure of spending the morning with you last month with our entire Nest team and talking, um, having you kind of present to, to our whole company. And it really just made us want to have you on the pod more than anything. Um, can I get you kind of just to explain who you are and why you're here with us and what your, what your background is? <laughs> yeah, so I'm a crazy guy in a yellow tuxedo, but I uh, just started as a, uh, a regular, normal baseball guy that played baseball my whole life and fell in love with the game. And I uh, was fortunate to get an opportunity to play, go to college full scholarship and uh, fortunately tore my shoulder my senior year that kept me from playing professional baseball. And I say fortunately because it gave me the opportunity to actually uh, work in baseball in the front office. And so I took over a, a poor performing team in Gastonia, North Carolina. And to say a poor performing um I would say it's actually actually probably the worst team in the entire country. So there was only 200 fans coming to the games and only $268 in the bank account my first day. And I took it over and realized there was a serious problem and we couldn't be a baseball team. We had to make it more fun. And so I uh, read every book I could, uh, P.T. Barnum, Walt Disney, uh, you name it, about entertainment. And I really said we should be more of a circus and not a baseball team. And so 15 years ago, we, we started doing different things, crazy things from flatulence fun nights to salute to underwear nights to grandma beauty pageants to dancing players and uh, learned a lot over there of attracting attention and getting people to want to come to our games. And from there, that really developed a fans first mindset to create uh, fans and not just focus on customers. And lo and behold, many years later, we took over Savannah and that's when we really failed at first. And uh, it was an unbelievable struggle, but we learned even more. So that's the Spark Notes version up into Savannah. And, and for those who are listening to us, you can't see Jesse. Um, <laughs> I think you kind of have to Google Jesse and, and see what his, his attire looks like because he is dressed in a full yellow tuxedo. Um, and that's, you know, part of the drawing attention and part of being part of the brand for at all times. Um, and it's a, it's a fantastic story because obviously 2020, we've just completed, everybody's had a rough go at everything. And yet you've managed to make 2020 work in some way with your organization yeah i think uh sports teams if they could take one year back and never look at it ever 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 again it would be 2020 i think it was the worst year ever for any sports team and uh you know i know many colleagues that were let go and are out of the industry i mean people were let go because there's no revenue no no games um, we found a way and that's kind of our mentality and when we first came to savannah uh, it was myself, my wife, our 24-year-old president, and three 22-year-olds to take over a brand new team, an expansion team. 
And, uh, you know, we only sold two tickets in our first three months. And <laughs> it was, uh, it was pretty much a donation. A gentleman was like, we'll just give this to you. We feel bad for you guys. And, uh, we were marketing like everyone else. We were putting ourselves out in social media. We were shouting from the rooftops. This is who we are. Um, but people didn't care because we didn't give them a reason to care. And it got so bad that in, in January of 2016, uh, we overdrafted our account. We were completely out of money. My wife and I had to sell our dream home, empty out our savings account. And we were sleeping on an airbed and we had to draw attention and get the hearts of our fans. And so we had some crazy ways of doing that and named the team the Savannah Bananas, a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. We brought them in and a mascot split and a male cheerleading team called the Mananas. And we kept coming up with all these ideas to be fans first. And finally we got their attention. They came out the first game and told everyone and we didn't have to market again. We sold out every game since that point. So going into 2020, you know, our mindset was, hey, we went through this in 2016. We had no support, no fans, no money. This is no big deal. Let's figure out what it's going to take to uh, be there for our fans. And we were there for them. And fortunate enough, they showed up and came from all over to, to catch a game, which was really cool. Jesse, you, you know, you, you say that you're reading everything from P.T. Barnum through Disney. Mm -hmm. Do you view yourself as an entertainment firm or do you view yourself as a sports company? No, yeah, I mean, we are 1000% in the entertainment business. And, 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 I, and I would argue that every, every business is in the entertainment business. Um, it, when you think of entertainment, you also think Vegas, you know, big shows and over the top. You know, when I think of entertainment, I think of the, the pure definition. And it's to provide enjoyment and to provide amusement. And I think right now, too many customers are just treated as customers, not treated as guests or as fans that are entertained. And I think what you guys do so well at Nest and from hearing your stories is that you take them through a journey where you care about them and you try to provide enjoyment and provide amusement. And so I think we all should look at ourselves as entertainers. Yes, I'm in the yellow tuxedo. That doesn't fit for 99.999% of people, but this is just a way to kind of bring us into their shell that we're not like a normal baseball team because we're not, we're about the surface. So who, when you're, when you're sitting back and, and you and your team are talking about the upcoming season, who are your competitors? Is it, is it Netflix? Is it the other stuff that's going on in Savannah? Like, what are your, who are you guys losing viewership to? What's, what's your, where's your audience going if you're not grabbing them? It's a great question. There's a great story about Simon Sinek uh, sitting with a, an Apple executive and a Microsoft executive. He spoke at both companies. And he's literally, the Microsoft gave him this new um, iPad type thing. It wasn't an iPad, obviously that was Apple. And he was like, wow, this is so much better than the Apple iPad. He tells the Apple guy and the Apple executive says, I'm sure it is. And doesn't even pay attention. Apple was so focused on themselves. They didn't pay attention to Microsoft. Yet Microsoft was so focused on Apple. It was a different game back 10, 20 years ago. For us, our biggest competition is ourselves. And that sounds very cliche, but we focused nine. What were we last year? When a fan came to a ballpark in 2019, 2020, is it a better experience in 2021? Is it more remarkable in 21? Is there more to leave the ballpark and say, you wouldn't believe what the bananas are doing now, which I believe you wouldn't believe are three of the best words in marketing and intention and customer experience. If you can get your clients and customers to say, you wouldn't believe it's game over because that means it's so remarkable. So right. to answer your question, uh, yes. Do we compete with Amazon, Netflix, Chick-fil-A, Ritz-Carlton? Yes, because customers' expectations are rising every single day. They are unbelievably high. Netflix, you get what you want, when you want, with no ads. Amazon, you can get something shipped to you in an hour. So that's what people expect. So yes, there's a reason why we have no shipping fees, no ticket fees, no convenient fees. Because if people are expecting that from Amazon and they're expecting no ads from Netflix, there's a reason why we have no ads in our entire ballpark. 
and we're crazy for it. Most people in the industry, we're the only one doing it, but we believe that's what people are expecting. So we're competing against ourselves, but also seeing, seeing our other competitors that are way outside our industry that are doing it better than anyone else. Yeah. And I, 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 I love that comment so much. We've, we've had this conversation within Nest for a couple of years and Keith probably knows what I'm going to be saying, but a couple of years liquid ago, expectations. We, we came across this term <laughs> called liquid expectations, which is essentially, you know, you know, bank ABC doesn't compete with bank XYZ or, you know, PDQ. They're, you know, they're competing with Chick-fil-A and they're competing with uh, Venmo Starbucks. and they're competing with Starbucks because it's, you know, money is, is, is not just at your bank. It's, it's being transferred different ways. And like that goes across all industries. And yes. we, we see the same thing with who we compete with at Nest. It's not just the other brokerage firms around that we're work that we that we quote unquote compete with but it's the experiences that people have at starbucks and disney and you know i've had this conversation many times about um about disney is people save their entire life to go to disney they save up and they save up and save up and this one time they 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 go to disney and they have this amazing experience well people in reality spend just as much or if not more money on their real estate broker than they do at disney so why shouldn't we be comparing ourselves from that perspective to Disney? And, you know, I know it's probably unfair to nest and it's unfair to our agent to set those expectations on them, but that's the way that we have, we have to think that way. Otherwise, you know, otherwise we're in trouble. I love that so much. And we talked, you know, a couple months ago, Jonathan, you were talking about the different versions of Nest, you know, well, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. And I think every company needs to look at like the year before that might be the last year's version. It's not just like, hey, five, 10 years ago, that was the first. Every year, what's that better version? And an example for us is when we started doing merchandise, it was a disaster at first. We had no idea how to service merchandise. I mean, our first shipment of t-shirts came in and there were too many N's in bananas. I mean, it was literally <laughs> spelled wrong. We messed up there. And then we didn't know how to do it because we never did that much merchandise. So we just had giant Excel sheets printed out and we were just getting packages from the U US, the post office. And then we were like, no, this isn't the best way. So then we got custom yellow boxes. And then we got a custom uh, big stamp that says delivered fresh with our banana on it. Then we started getting yellow tissue paper. Then we started putting free koozies and free decals and a personal fun letter from our, our uh, merch director. We kept boosting at each level. Then we started doing phone calls to thank everyone. And there was a 1.0 or 2.0. We're probably on version 4 or 5.0. I feel bad for the people that first bought merchandise back to 2016. And the reality is I should feel bad for our customers right now because it's going to be much better in two, three years. And if you have that mindset, similar to Amazon, they always think right now is the worst possible customer experience anyone will ever have on Amazon. Jeff Bezos says that himself. Today's the worst experience they'll ever have because tomorrow's, tomorrow's going to be better. That's an amazing mindset. We try to take that with the bananas. Yeah, that's great. I want to I want to rewind a little bit uh, to one of the comments you made earlier about when you first took over the bananas and you went out there and you were marketing um, to to your potential fan base, and it was just you know crickets, nothing happened. Can you tell me? what you were doing with marketing to start with and then what was that inflection point that you said you know there's got to be a better way or you know or, or, or kind of whatever you thought i'd love to kind of take i'd love for you to take us through that well the game changer was we were marketing like everyone else and so if you look on amazon right now i know we've referenced them a lot how many books on marketing are there thousands but now search how many books on attention are there on how to create attention Every company has a marketing director, but how many people have an attention director or attention plan? 
And so we were marketing. So what we were doing is, you know, we would literally put, we were working with the newspaper, putting out, you know, even ads in the newspaper back then. We were doing social media. We were trying to build an email list. We were doing all of that, but it was just noise like everyone else because there was nothing remarkable about it because we hadn't done anything remarkable. We hadn't earned anything remarkable. So what we did is when we named the team, the bananas, we strategically said, now we're going to announce our mascot split and we're going to do it at, a, at an elementary school with thousands of kids. So when it comes out, all the kids are going to flock to him and the news is going to be there and it's going to be larger than life. Then we're going to not offer president Obama as he just finished his term as president, an internship with the bananas. And so we offered him an internship with the bananas and, and we get him a stipend host family. We, it was a great, I think we were going to pay him a thousand dollars. It was a great gig. I thought we didn't, we didn't hear from him. And we started thinking about all these <laughs> different announcements. And so making bacon came out uh, a team in our league. And the first thing we did, as soon as we now knew they were going to announce their name, we hired a pig. We rented a pig, brought it to the stadium, and did that commercial. If you remember back in the day, for the dogs, um, the, you know, the PSA with Sarah McLaughlin, in the arms of the angels, about like <laughs> saving the pets and adopting pets. We did it holding a pig and said, save the pigs, stop making bacon. And we started doing that in literally Barstool Sports, ESPN. Then we announced a game in kilts. Then we said, we're going to have a breakdancing first base coach. And he does the moonwalk in the middle of the game while coaching first. We started thinking about all these crazy things. And all of a sudden, everybody started talking because we weren't trying to market to them. We were just talking about some cool and exciting and fun things we were doing that was shareable. And the question I ask all marketers is what you put out, is it shareable or not? It's shareable if it adds social currency to you. If you put it out, you look cool for sharing it. If it's just about your company saying, buy this, buy this, buy this, and it's not shareable, then it's not remarkable. And so we started thinking about, are we putting out things that are shareable, that are remarkable, that are different, that aren't like everyone else? And that was the game changer for us. And that's pretty much been our model since. And one of your mottos is, if it's normal, do the exact opposite. <laughs> I mean, is you, is that sounds like that's you, you live by that, right? That's, oh, that's like wake up every morning. 100%. I learned that from Alan Fadden. I just interviewed him on my, my podcast, Business Done Differently. And uh, I learned it from him. He, he wrote a book, Innovation on Demand. And he said, whatever's normally the exact opposite. How, how should I sell my book? Well, most books are sold at a giant bookstore with thousands of books. What if I bought an entire store, a retail store, and only sold one book, my own? And he actually created a one book bookstore and he had his book in different sections like business, self-help, history. He had it in every section and around. And of course, what happened? He got national media attention. People Magazine did a full story on him and he sold thousands of books. He thought whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. So I took a page out of his book. And when I released my first book, Find Your Yellow Tux, I did a world book tour, but I did it at Epcot. So I literally went to each country in Epcot around until I finally got to Morocco and the security guard said, sir, you're going to have to leave. I go, what? He goes, you're confusing our guests as one of our characters here at Disney because I was wearing the yellow tuxedo. So I got kicked out of Epcot, which then created even a better story and created the attention that I needed. So it worked out well. And so again, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Write down all the normal things in your industry. And then what's the opposite? What would be remarkable? And that's how we do a lot of our creating ideas. I, I will say there, there is, ironically, and I haven't thought about this photograph now in 20 years, but I'm going to have to find it somewhere. It's somewhere in my basement. I'm going to find it for you. I'm going to take a picture and send it to you. It, it was given to me as a gift. It is actually of bananas. Um, the photographer did nothing but banana shots, and they're all hilarious. And they obviously, they, they, the way that he's 
position the bananas they come off as different puns about banana stuff but the funny part was he actually he had a um he advertised i mean one of his marketing things was that he had actually had a an exhibit at the louvre and he had taken inside of his trench coat 10 of these pictures taped them up in one of the bathrooms at the louvre taken pictures of himself standing by the urinals with the uh photographs until the security guards kicked him out but that was his exhibit and he had all the banana photographs up and and this was 20 some years ago i thought that was brilliant you know it's amazing and i know we have you shared with me a lot of nonprofits, a lot of uh different business owners obviously people with nest and realtors are listening to this show and it's tough but sometimes you have to do things that are willing to be misunderstood you know this is you have to do things that are a little polarizing you know that people might not like the fact that we have making bacon urinal cakes that our fans are peeing on arrival, people don't love that, all right? And the reality is even this year, what we're gonna do is we're gonna develop, we're developing a drink called the Banana Blackout. It's literally a strong drink and a black slushy that you're only allowed to have one per game. That's it, one per game. So it's forbidden, all right? It's like one of these things you don't do. It's like, I don't wanna have a black drink and wait, you're only one? Like some people say that that's not, but again, it creates that intrigue. It creates that excitement. It creates a talking point. And I always try to think, what are people talking about when they're experiencing your product? My biggest fear is being people being bored with our product. And so to do that, you have to continually come up with new ideas that get people excited. And even in real estate, it's like, hey, we're buying a home. Well, again, can they do somewhere where they don't just talk about the home, but they talk about the experience of buying a home? That's, that's a difference maker. Right. Yeah, I think, I think you know, we, we've... Um had several conversations and our conversations resonate in my head when I'm going on runs and at different points of the day, I'm just kind of thinking through it. And I think that kind of the interesting thing about your business compared to the real estate business is that your customer journey, and I know you spend a lot of time on customer journey and touch points and things like that. Your customer journey to me, it seems like it's all about surprises. You're, you want to surprise people. They come around the corner and they, you've washed their car before the game. Or Not in real estate, the game. No, you don't want surprises. <laughs> well, that's it. And that's it in real estate. It's like in real estate, it's the opposite. It's like, how can we create this memorable customer experience with no surprises, right? Well, what we if there's positive surprises? surprises? Can there, can there be yeah. positive surprises? Yeah, that's it. There, yep. there are. And, and, you know, we certainly, when we looked at our customer journey, we looked at all, you know, I think we came up with our first wheel had probably 23 touch points on it. And one of them was the home inspection, which is three hours of some of the most boring, but important times that we can come up with. And we said, fine, let's, let's send our agents in with a little suitcase full of inspection survival stuff. Um, and it was ways to keep our clients busy so the inspectors could do their job. So we gave them tape measures and, and graphing paper, and we gave them, you know, things to, to look for throughout the house so that when they moved in, they'd know where the water shutoff is and other things to keep them engaged. But I do think those are the surprising positive, like, wow, that was a really cool, fun uh, inspection, right? But it also, you know, when we look at what we mail out to clients, we're constantly looking at it as, is this something that is actually valuable? I mean, how many pieces of, of kitsch, how many pieces of swag do we get that never makes it past the trash can, right? And it is, a, it's a, it's a challenge to find something that is witty, that's fun, that's memorable, but is also valuable. And I think that's what we kind of shoot for on everything we send out for clients. You know, I think that's such a good point because you said how many pieces of swag, how many pieces of your memorabilia go into the trash can? And I think it should be a ton. It should be a ton unless you create a brand that everyone like says this is really cool, a Yeti brand. But because here's the reality. 
people don't want things with your brand on it. They want things that are celebrating them as the hero. It's a completely different game. You know, I think it's so funny that, you know, on Christmas, we get hundreds of Christmas cards with different people's families. I want to actually go on Facebook, get a family and send them a Christmas card of them. So they, they'll, they'll keep that on the fridge. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's a different way of looking at it. We, I don't want more pens with someone else's brand on it. Right. But we think that's good. Oh, we're giving them a pen. No, you're promoting yourself. What's the intention behind it? And I, I can't tell you, I've got so many brand pieces from other people. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't connect with your sock company. I'm sorry, you know? And so I think, think about how you do that in a different way. How can it be about them? The focus on, put their name on it. Put their address on it. I mean, I think cool, having a cool sign of their address, you know, a uh, picture of their home that they sold, that they lived there with their whole family. I've seen that done. Like things like that, that has meaning. And it has nothing about you, but you'll always remember who gave it to you. That's yep. the difference. Yep, that's it. So for you, you know, you, you, you're always trying to keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward. Can you take us inside the, the war room uh, at the Bananas and talk about how you brainstorm and how you come up with these ideas? Is it, is it, are these ideas you get in the shower and bring into the office or is it a culture or wh wh what's the process? I wish I remembered the statistics, but they said like the statistics of good ideas that come in at the office versus out of the office is, right. is, is staggeringly low in the office versus out of the office. And there's actually a, a study, a great book, Write It Down, Make It Happen. Um, it talks about the, the study of uh, ideas and creativity uh, surrounded by water, whether in the rain, whether you're in the shower, whether you're uh, near a, the ocean, the lake, a river, there's more ideas outside there. Yet we lock ourselves in an office and say, let's think of ideas. The thing is, you, you got to be in an expansive mind, mindset. So, um, you know, yes, we have idea paloozas, but often we do them outside and are overlooking our stadium. And so uh, the idea palooza is a big part of what we've been doing for, geez, four or five years now. And it's, it's evolved over time. Sometimes we'll be like, all right, just let's bring ideas for the team. That's how it started. And that was just craziness. Now we kind of narrowed it down to a question that we're trying to solve for our customers, a, a question that we're trying to make a better experience. And so everyone will bring about three ideas. Sometimes if we have a smaller group, like we do a smaller jam session, Palooza, we'll challenge them to bring 10 ideas because that stretches you to come up with something that might be really bad that could be turned into good. You have to come with it to something. That's the key. We can't just say, all right, we're going to meet. Let's talk about things. You have to put some time in before and they can throw something out and then we can feed off that. And the key is it has to be a yes and culture. There's a great book written by Second City Improv called Yes And. It has to be a yes and culture. And then what we do is we put them on a whiteboard. We have yes, maybe, and needs work or not now. And we go through the ideas, we pitch it. And then at the end we say, all right, which ones do we definitely need to do? We put them on the yes. And then we put an idea champion next to it, someone who's going to own it. Because I've said before, you know, ideas are currency, but it's implementation that'll make you rich. And you mm -hmm. need to have people that can implement. So we do it. It's fun. And then we get people who own it and we hold them accountable to it. And uh, it becomes fun. You know, we do it with food. We do it with drinks mostly. I mean, it's, it's the key is what constrains ideas is if you say, all right, guys, we have 30 minutes for an idea session. 15 minutes, people are already out. They're thinking about what they need to do or they're thinking, I think I start working on that. Don't put a constraint. Have it in the afternoon. Don't set it has to be this certain amount of time. Ideas need room to breathe. And so we really try to give ourselves room to breathe and not say, I got this meeting I got to go to. I got this phone call I got to go to. Um, the best ideas will come usually in that last hour, hour and a half as we're going further on because we get to talk more about it. So that's have, have you ever read um, Creativity, Inc.? Yes, yes, Pixar, great. Yeah, and I'm just listening to you. I mean, just the whole idea, the idea of Palooza, you know, the way that they 
nurture inspiration, creativity, their brain trust meetings, it, it sounds similar. It's a really, it's just kind of the way to get people talking outside of their box and being willing to throw out ideas. The and, the yes and question, the how do you expand upon the creativity portion? And I'll jump on that. Uh, one of my good friends who's amazing, who you guys should, if, uh, Joey Coleman, who wrote uh, Never Lose a Customer Again. He's amazing, great keynote speaker, and uh, his book's outstanding. And he talks about the first 100 days. And he says the key to really building, he's got all these statistics when, you know, with banks uh, and different companies, how long people stay it was to be cell phone carriers. If you do a good job in the first 100 days, the chance of building a customer for life is huge. It's huge. And I've realized now with some of my closest business colleagues and entrepreneurs, if, I, if we're on a podcast together, we talk and we keep texting over the next few weeks, month, we're friends for life. We're good. And so the same thing with an idea. So if you're having an idea, like we just <laughs> literally had an idea session uh, right before this call, and the idea came up about Bananas Bachelor. Could we actually do a Bananas Bachelor, have a player that goes on dates with fans throughout the season and do it as little quick episodes on TikTok? And we were just jamming on it. It was so good. So what I made to do after we did that call, I immediately text our director of video production. I start texting more ideas on it to keep the idea rolling in our minds so it doesn't just die. Tomorrow, I'll send another message about it to keep it going. And so it's like that first 100 ideas of an idea. 100, first 100 days of an idea, it takes me yeah. a second. So how, if you wanna keep it going, you gotta keep talking about it, keep talking about it, keep talking about it. that builds momentum. So I think that's a principle I haven't thought about until now. And I think that's how you can really make things happen. Right, so let me, I, I love that. And, but let me ask you one question on it. So one of the things you hit on, kind of going back to the idea of, the idea of Palooza, right? You said you're now doing it with a focus on a specific problem. You're going in trying to remove mm -hmm. a piece of friction. Mm -hmm. um, early in this conversation, everything we talked about, the, the early stages of Bananas were about getting the excitement going, getting the fan base just motivated to arrive. So is there a difference in the lifespan of the company going from the motivation to the friction removal, or is that something, do they need to work together? Are they, are they not mutually, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive, but do they always fit or is it, am I just looking at this two sides of the same coin on that? It's a great question. I think you guys do it very well. Um, sometimes eliminating friction can be a huge intention getter. So if you, if you eliminate friction in a very unique way that stands out, that is an attention getter. So for instance, for us, one of the biggest friction points that we eliminated was we didn't nickel dime our fans. Every single ticket is all inclusive. You can't come to a bananas game without getting all your food included. And so for us, that's an attention getter. People are like, wait, for 18 bucks, I can get everything, my ticket and all my food, all my sodas, everything for when I get to when I leave. Yes. And so that was a friction point. Now, for instance, our next big friction point that we're battling, baseball is too long, too slow, too boring. So we invented our new game, Banana Ball, which is a two-hour time limit, no stepping out of the box. You can steal first. If you bunch, you're thrown out of the game. The fans catch a foul ball, it's an out. I mean, there's nine rules that are ridiculous, but it keeps the game in two hours. That's a friction point that we've been battling, but now it's also turning into a big-time attention getter. So I think that we've been able to combine those that's really helped us. If you create a much better experience, that creates attention. Amazon Prime, when they first started doing that, free shipping was unheard of. That's eliminating friction, also attention getter. The one click buy, that's an attention getter. So the magic band for Disney, 
which we took our whole team to Disney right before in early March, right before uh, COVID, which was another way to spend a lot of money right before uh, we were shut down, which was an interesting play. But uh, what was what was fascinating, yeah, in regardless, a month, a week later, earlier, we eliminated hundreds of thousands of sponsorship because we thought that was eliminating friction too. So a lot of strong business moves right before uh, COVID hit us, um, which was great. But uh, but yeah, when we were going through Disney, we were all talking about our Magic Band. And exact, I actually have one here in my office. I put it on from time to time to remind me to be innovative because that is such a better experience because you yeah. just use it on everything. So again, friction, I think, can create attention. Uh, it can't go the other way. Usually it's friction creates attention. Yeah, those bands are awesome. Jonathan, remember I got my uh, took my kids a number of years ago and it was the year they introduced the bands and I got this email that said, Hey, we're going to, we're doing a beta launch of this new product. Would you like to, you know, can we, can we put your family in for this special thing? I was like, Oh my God, absolutely. And they imprinted our names in the bands and we got our bands. And I felt like we were going to be like one of 12 families at Disney who was going to have access to this band. Now every, every single person in the park had it, but I felt like, this was entirely done for my family. My kids were so excited to have their uh, their bands. Those things were brilliant. I mean, oh, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a bit, yeah. what was a billion dollars worth of investment, Jonathan. I remember reading about. I think they those launched about when we launched Nest, or maybe shortly thereafter. And uh, and we were reading some articles years, about it, yeah. but it was it was a, over a billion dollar investment. And we did it a couple of years after, and it was just like the going online and picking your colors for your kids and. You know, then they they come picking your package perfectly. Yeah, right. It's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, you know that you. I mean, just just think, thinking about the experience that Disney puts out there, um, is something that we strive for all the time. I, um, I'd suggest the I'd suggest the book for you guys. A Disney's Land. It just came out last year, and it was written uh, about how Disney built the original Disneyland, and it is fascinating. The 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 opening day, they, everyone, all the employees called it Black Sunday. It was July 17th, 1955. There were 167 million people in the United States. 90 million people watched it on TV. 90 million. So put, that's more than 54.6% of the center population were watching it on TV. And they watched a disaster. Literally, I mean, every the rides all broke down. 28,000 people showed up. They were expecting 11,000. People were breaking in. The asphalt was laid the night before and people's uh, shoes were getting stuck in the asphalt and they couldn't get out. They ran out of food. The bathrooms over flooded. There were not enough fountains. It was the worst day ever. But they went through it and the next day got better. The next day got better. They were actually charging tickets. You had to get tickets to go on each ride. Yep. They realized that wasn't a great experience. That was a friction point. So they eliminated it. So hearing how they all built this, it's amazing because they did it. And they didn't give up. They said, all right, each day. And, and so anything you release will be terrible at first. Our all you can eat plans I've shared before, the first night, it was so bad. People waited seven innings to eat food. Seven innings. They got in line the first thing, by the eighth inning, they finally got food. And a lot of people didn't get food. It was atrocious. But then it got better, and it got better, and it got better. I think too many people are afraid to try things that haven't been done before because they're worried of how bad it will be at first. But think about how good it will be the second, third, fourth, fifth time if you figure it out. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, look, I uh, I think I could talk to you, talk with you all day long. I love your energy. I love your stories and um, uh, everything about you. But you know, I, I know you're busy, so I want to want to wrap things up and ask you just one last question. So the name of the podcast is Sweat the Detail, and I think there's a you know, I'm I'm probably undershooting here, but there's about a million details that are going on in your in your company in your head on a regular basis. But what's that? If if you were to pick out one, what's the one detail that you sweat every day? <laughs> it's a it i think macro i think macro to get to micro so i'm gonna go a macro answer which probably no one would probably ever say 
the detail I'm always thinking about and a, a fear that I have is irrelevance. And so as soon as you become that irrelevant, I think you're in trouble. And so for us, I, my fear is not being remarkable enough, not doing things to uh, create a better experience that can actually make people say, wow. So it sounds like that's not a detail. A detail could be these little things, but irrelevance is the macro way that I look at, at, at details. And so I don't want to be unforgettable. I don't want to be unremarkable. I want to be unforgettable. And so that is the irrelevance is something I think about constantly. That's great. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for uh, your time. Uh, love your stories. And uh, just, I mean, I've, I've taken a page and a half of notes, even after we've talked a couple of times and I've read your book and seen a couple of you talk online a couple a couple other times. So thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. And we hope to make it down to Savannah at some point. I know, I know we will. one of, know one one of our offices already has. One of our offices is already planned. I know. I heard there's a group outing planned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got one group coming down and I've actually been looking at my schedule to see if I can uh, tag team with them, but we'll, we'll make it down there soon. Um, I want to, I want to congratulate you guys on that because we just made a decision that we are going to be a little extra safe. And so I think there's only about 5,000 total tickets left. So we're going to do a little smaller capacity to make sure everyone's safe and spread out. So congratulate your group. They are in, they are set, they are good to go. And so probably the next month or so we'll be completely sold out for the year. Yeah. I know we got to get on it. Fantastic. Jesse, thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been awesome.